0: and those that will join us on podcast at 3cr.org.au. Thanks for joining us. Stay with us and enjoy the episode. Bringing you the news and views and the untold side of the Palestinian struggle for freedom from a Palestinian perspective. Good morning, listeners. I'm very excited to inform you of our wonderful guest. We're joined by palestinian canadian artist dahlia Shirvini, who is a fantastic palestinian artist she's a realist that's the only thing i really know about art i know a few other keywords, Dalia. dahlia so forgive me but your art is just amazing we're going to put a link to her website which is dahliaart.com she's in canada and it's just amazing work good morning dahlia how are you
1: i am doing great how are you Nasser? pleasure to be here
0: No, we're really, really excited. Dahlia, your art, I bought a piece off Instagram. You donated a piece for charity. We're going to talk about your charity in a minute. But one of the things we like to do when we have a new guest in our audience, we hopefully will get you on many more times on the journey, but hopefully it will be at a free Palestine when we can talk about your art in Jerusalem. But today we're talking in diaspora because we're both denied the right to live in our ancestral home. Dahlia, tell us your Nakba journey. How did you get to Canada?
1: All right. Um, So, um, I was born and raised in Kuwait. Uh, My dad is one of the, he migrated from, well, I guess his family fled from their homes in uh, Akka to Lebanon. And from Lebanon, he moved to Kuwait. um, And he's a practicing doctor there. And uh, my mom, her family fled from Jauneh and it's a village in Qadah Safad in, in um, Palestine uh, to Syria. And then she married my dad and we moved to Kuwait. So I was born in Kuwait um, and um, we we had something called wathika. I'm not really sure what it's called in English. It's basically a piece of paper that helps you maneuver slightly. But to be honest, it was, it was as valuable as a napkin <laughs> because we, it was barely effective. Whenever we tried to like cross borders, we had to basically bribe the the officers with money and uh, to get across because it wasn't uh, like it wasn't like a a, a valid uh, card or a valid passport. So we always kind of needed to have some sort of a passport. Um, and my dad uh, tried to apply for a visa a couple of times. A work visa and our papers were delayed for many years until finally we heard back and we ended up moving to Canada in 2005, which was a blessing because um, it was just a little easier to live here and obviously on the pro- on the promise that you're gonna have a passport eventually and uh, you can move around the world and be uh, <laughs> and have have you know papers um, and so we moved uh, to canada 2005 and um yeah that was the that was the journey and my dad uh is still working in kuwait he comes and visits occasionally but me and my mom and the rest of my siblings reside in canada
0: wow so we should just give some context to our listeners safad is inside 48 Palestine and is one of the villages that was completely destroyed. I mean, there's very little evidence that suffered was ever there. And the Wathika is a travel document issued to Palestinian refugees, barely a status. You know, although it looks officious and, and fantastic, the reality is it afforded very little to no rights, which is why, you know, your father had to pay so many bribes. Dalia, so 2005, you left Kuwait. So you were there for Gulf War One.
1: Yes, I was actually born in like the year of i believe and it was uh it was interesting it was a very interesting time and actually my dad was one of the like he he practiced like he was a doctor on ground like during the war hmm. uh the gulf war yeah that was uh that was an interesting time for for one year i believe if, i'm trying to remember exactly what year it was but it was one year and a half. We and my dad moved us from Kuwait because of the war from Kuwait to Lebanon. So we lived in Lebanon for a year and a half. And then once things kind of eased down a little bit, we moved back to Kuwait. So a lot of moving, a lot of moving in my life.
0: Because <laughs> one of the realities is that post-Gulf world War one, Abu Amar Arafat Ali he hugged Saddam Hussein, and many Palestinians left Kuwait and went into the wide world. Some of them ended up in Australia. But many of them were livid at the hug because the hug cost them their life of privilege and maid and a driver.
1: But your, yeah. your,
0: your father stayed. So he didn't suffer um, the racism or...
1: Well, I guess I guess we're lucky in our scenario in the sense that he was surrounded by Kuwaitis who are like he, he was friends with people who, of the country who they don't abide to the political views of the government. So he was... Kind of in his own little bubble. He was happy in his job. He was kind of content. And he did not, I'm not exactly sure why he didn't make the decision to like leave. I don't know how many options he had or if he was just, you know, he wasn't financially ready to make that move uh, abruptly for his family after being, you know, secured in his job and in his position. But... Yes, we never, we, we always stayed in Kuwait. We never fully moved anywhere else in the Middle East. Like I have I know a lot of Palestinians went to Jordan. We were one, of the, were one of the Palestinians who've never been to Jordan, just went from Kuwait straight to Canada.
0: Rada Kami, she says, you know, Palestinians have got a choice to be doctors, dentists, engineers, or failures. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if, you, if you're not one of those things, then you're a failure. But in fact, what you end up finding is irrespective of your vocation, whether you're a doctor, an engineer, a poet, whatever it might be, in fact, your full-time job ends up being Palestinian because you have to explain yourself. You have to find your space. You have to decolonize people's minds as to vanquishing you from a narrative. How did you end up? I mean, your art is exquisite. And um, listeners, again, we're speaking to Dahlia from Canada and her website's dahliaart.com, but that link will be in the end of the podcast. I'm sure you click on that and you can buy some wonderful stuff. So take us through your journey through to when did you discover that you were such a good drawer painter, et cetera?
1: I always, always was creative, and it it was really any tool I had. I was – I remember from a very young age, I – like I, I would make up stories with my Barbies, and I would have my sister come and just watch me, like direct this like whole story with my Barbies, and she was she was like eager to see what would happen tomorrow in the next episode. I had just had a very ultra creative mind, and I didn't know where to go with this force of creative force that I had. And growing in a traditional Middle Eastern household, it's there there it's not very welcomed for you to just be a creative for a living or think of just be making art as a career is not very, um, it's not preferred. And, uh, and I, it was a bit of a challenge to even, to even propose that. And to be honest, I never actually <laughs> even got to that point. I, my art career is an absolute coincidence and I stumbled upon where I am today because of just I have this unstoppable drive and passion for art that life circumstances basically threw me into becoming an artist for a living and it's it's just crazy and it just means that when you're passionate about something your drive is so loud that it mutes everyone else's opinion and they're them trying to tell you you can't do it or this is not a viable journey to take professionally so yeah i I, i'm a big believer that you need to absolutely follow your calling all the way and ignore everyone else's critiques and their feedback i mean they can advise you for when it comes to safety and when it comes to just you know if there are things that are absolutely harmful to your well-being they can give you your their two cents but anything else that pertains to your purpose in life that is an that is a very intimate personal journey that you need to protect and and hold close to your heart and realize it fully on your own. So what I did was I always wanted to pursue a creative career, but I didn't know exactly how to get there. So one thing is I got, I looked into a film direction. I did never go to school for art. I have Bachelor of Arts in film and theater. So I went to school to become a film director. And I just thought that would be my way to being creative. And, you know, it's a different it's a different world it's a different medium but i'm still being creative and it's it's a little easier for my family kind of to to swallow at first when i was trying to apply for university um i just told them i want to i want to film director so and and i truly I, I unfortunately i have not tapped into that degree yet i have not really done much with it but i, I truly th- believe we we can do so many things in life so that i'm i'm putting that on hold and i'll i'll uh, I'll go, I'll go back to film directing and, and, and being creative in the film industry later in life. But right now, my calling is visual arts. So I finished my degree. And then right after, it occurred to me that it's actually difficult to make a living right off, right as soon as you graduate from a film and theater program, like you can't just Jump into the movies in Hollywood and hire me as a director, especially as a female Palestinian Muslim director. It's 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 a bit of a challenge and it's it's a longer journey. So what I did was I wanted to find another way to make a living quick and in something that I that is also creative. Uh, so I did a. I did a certificate in web design and web development, which was a bit more technical than creative, to be honest. But I, I loved it. I did web design and development for in the corporate world for many years. I even, um, I even have my own branding company that I do some, I still do some work on the side, but very little. Um, and yeah, that kind of made me, I stayed, it kind of helped me stay afloat financially and but throughout this whole time since i'm talking like throughout university throughout my web design career i always painted and i always exhibited i always managed to make art in the background it was the one thing that is fixed like everything moves in my life i move places relationships family functions things happen around me but the only thing that has always been fixed and engraved is just my art and my my pace in creation i always created and the more stressed i was the more i made art so um i got to a point where i just i realized that i'm being creative at my web design job but as soon as i get home the cr- i just felt like i was draining my creative energy in my web design job and i'm not fully available for my art when i'm when, when it's when it comes nighttime right so i was like why don't I just quit my job and do this for a living since I'm doing well in my art shows. And I don't know what it was. Not that it was like a really loud voice that was telling me you can do it. Even though it was the most insane decision to ever take. Even my mom was just absolutely, <laughs> she was like, don't do it. She was like, cause I was getting, alhamdulillah, I had a great job. I was getting paid well and had a good position, had a senior position. And, um, but yeah, I just, Something in me was rejecting the whole nine to five grind, and um, I knew I wanted wanted to do something bigger with my art. Um, My art was going to be the tool to get there, but I knew that my art is, it's going to be through my art. So I did, uh, two years ago, I quit my job, and I dedicated myself fully to my art career, and I started understanding the business side of art, because not every artist can make a business out of their art. It's it's, it's definitely a challenge. Also, not every artist is well versed uh, when it comes to monetizing their work. Some artists just create for the sake of creating, and they're absolutely clueless on how to how to sell or how to market. So I found a couple of streams of. I managed to to find a couple of streams of income through my art that can help me um, survive. Um, and yeah ever since i quit my job i i i will there's no way i will go back to that to working for for any company ever again i i since that day my alhamdulillah my career just got kept keeps getting bigger and bigger and my goals are getting bigger and bigger and to me it's just a platform to do things and do things for my homeland eventually and it's just, an it's literally just my kind of road there. That's thats the whole thing behind me trying to make something out of my art.
0: And it's gorgeous art. So we're talking to Dalia Shabini, who's a Palestinian-Canadian artist from Canada. Dalia, one of the things, you know, every Palestinian child has had to deal with pitching our parents about uni. So you're not alone. You know, even though I'm a generation <laughs> and a half older than you, I can assure you I had exactly the same pitch to my parents you know and then when i quit a full-time job you know it's like oh no how could you do that i think one of the things we we should explain to our audience because we know culturally arab palestinians we have been creative whether it's been through poetry and song and dance and through um, embroidery art is philosophy art is nothing new to palestine or palestinians the reality is after the zionist invasion and ethnic cleansing of palestine the destruction of our families, our homes, our connection to our dirt. What happened then was that our parents went, the pain of that war said, everything can get taken away from you, but your education. What's in your mind is yours. And that is your tool for security for your family. And so that same story has been told and and in different versions to all of us. So Our parents don't have one of the unique things about um, Nakba children is that your father could never take you to where he grew up. Mm-hmm. Your mother could never take you. Her journey from Suffolk to Syria to Kuwait, whereas yep. today I can take my children to the primary school I grew up. and so This is where I kicked that goal and won the grand final. I mean, usually it's a lie about my physical prowess, but anyway, we, I can actually take them on that journey. And so for us in that first generation or second generation beyond Nakba, education was so important. But now increasingly, we're seeing Palestinians like yourself, whether it's in visual arts or in spoken word poetry, whatever it is, we're seeing the world is seeing the rebirth of Palestinian uh, art and resistance art. And so much of your work is emblematic of Palestine, whether it's, you know, Jerusalem birth. And um, I really like Femme Falah, which I won't spoil for our listeners. So you're going to have to go to DahliaArt.com so that you can um, see some of this work. But it's really gorgeous. So, congratulations again. Sorry about being such a fanboy. Thank (laughs) you. I
1: I really appreciate it. I appreciate the
0: shout out. So, when you launched Amal, which means hope, I can't remember how many months ago or whatever, I went and I went, I've got to find a way to buy this. And I don't know what happened, whatever, nothing happened. But next thing you know, on Pali Roots, um, there was a charity auction and I was able to acquire finally my, my Amal. Tell us her story.
1: Yes. Um, so Amal uh, was actually a piece inspired by the journey of the Paliruts program, the Pally Roots meal program. They do an incredible job in uh, raising money to uh, fund this program. And I just wanted to kind of capture in a, I'm a realist, the way I describe my style is a realist, surrealist. So I do surrealist work, but I always try to kind of give a hint of life to my pieces so they're not like very abstract they're not very fictional I still want them to kind of feel like they're alive not necessarily human but like just kind of there's life in them there's soul there's there's a pulse somewhere that's kind of what I aspire to do when I create so that piece uh, I wanted to capture the journey journey from um, and how and the different parts of the the journey to having that program realized the feed gaza program which actually generated i don't want to mess up the numbers but this that poster was the face for the campaign that made um two million two million twenty eight thousand two hundred and eighty dollars which is insane and that's that's that is like thousands and thousands of meals to people in gaza when they needed them the most so it was an absolute success the campaign and i'm very very honored to have my art be the face for this campaign um yeah this this that was really the gist and the, the inspiration behind the piece to capture the journey um and i wanted to i, I didn't i really didn't want to capture like just the sad face i wanted to just have like this beautiful hopeful gaze in the face more than sad and you know desperate and we need your help because You know, we have so much dignity, Palestinians. Like no matter what happens to us, we still, we still hold our heads high and we are still full of pride, and that's kind of the inspiration behind the piece. And I also have the signature thing where I, in a a lot of my, you, if you notice throughout my portfolio, a lot of my Palestinian pieces would have floating olives and olive leaves uh, in the background. So I wanted to kind of throw that in there for. For that piece as well so it's it's a bit of my signature but yeah that's that's amal
0: it's a beautiful beautiful piece now you've created your own foundation as well yes so yes talk us through the foundation
1: okay um this is the most exciting project for me to be honest with you it's uh it's something that i've always wanted to do i've always I always knew that I wanted to do something with children and helping them find their voices. And I wasn't really sure how. Um, I always used my art as my personal journal to voice my thoughts and pour my emotions. But I didn't know there was actually a scientific term or there's like an actual, um, you know, there's, 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 a, there's an area of study that encompasses what I went through and what I do um, uh, in terms of using my art as a healing method and using it and have used it throughout my life. And then I stumbled upon art therapy. And uh, basically it's using uh, psychological psychology uh, techniques and art therapy techniques to, to help change perspectives and actually fine tune certain things in the mind. And it's, it's very, very effective in children because it helps them basically restore, well, it helps them restore their, their innocence just by, by, by being present and being listened to as children and just having full freedom to express themselves. Um <clears throat> and it, it provides them the space and uh, to be feel, to feel heard and to vent, to let out their negative emotions. So, um, and most importantly, it helps them trans- transform their perspective on trauma, which these kids especially the kids in Gaza are dealing with a lot of it they're they have a very high uh rate of psychological distress and they basically <laughs> they're they've been robbed from their innocence like essentially that this, this is the demographic that we're dealing with and they're living in constant fear they're I believe they these kids open their eye the second they open their eyes they've experienced, witnessed, and survived four wars. And right now, they're just like, like I'm going to st- straight up, they're just corrupt mentally. And they need help. They, they need so much help. And you can help the adults, but I truly believe the most attention needs to go to the children. And this is why I'm very passionate about this program and why my focus is the children, because they are inevitably the, the future of Palestine. And so, yeah, I created this uh, this uh, foundation. It's called Our Star School Foundation. And it's a Canadian nonprofit to help the children cope with war, induced trauma, grief, disabilities through art therapy workshops. Now, I do want this to be kind of a global foundation. It's not going to be just in Palestine. But of course, because my I'm Palestinian and this for, for me, Everything starts in Palestine, so it definitely has to be established and launched in Gaza, and then that program the, will be duplicated in different parts of the world where they are, where children are dealing with the same traumas and psychological distress. But definitely starting in Gaza.
0: How do you deliver the program?
1: Great question. Great question. So this is uh, what what I've been kind of uh, trying to. Uh, pick apart at the moment and trying to figure out. Now, essentially, we want to have workshops. Uh, We wanted, the the initial plan was we wanted to have workshops within existing schools. So we'll take a a little bit of space, like a couple of rooms for this workshop uh, to start in. But then I found out it's actually illegal to use, uh, to have nonprofit foundation uh, programs within government schools. So that's, uh, that has to be tweaked a bit. Um, So right now we're looking into renting a space outside and contracting teachers. Um, And uh, at the moment, I'm also looking at um, sourcing the materials locally, because turns out again, another thing from my innocent brain, I was like, okay I'd love to custom build a kit for every single child in Canada and send it and, and ship it off but it turns out it's not really as uh, romantic and as seamless as it is in my head. Um, it, uh, it's a very challenging process. They're, uh, apparently they're extremely, um, extremely strict at the border when it comes to shipping any materials, any school materials or any types of materials into Gaza. Like they, I think they're okay with like papers and like uh, books earlierier last but everything- week they,
0: they, they, they stopped the shipment of chocolate last week so you know
1: yeah wow the Israeli okay, authorities okay. Are,
0: are a level of inhumanity and barbarity that happens in Gaza that yeah. the world has not seen
1: yeah that's that's insane but that's that's a challenge that's a big challenge for me but I am optimistic and I'm excited to find ways around it I one thing I did, which uh, actually just happened last week. After, we, after I connected with you last, I spoke to uh, a Gaza-based artist. Her name is Malak Matar. Uh, she's a sweetheart. She's, a, she's actually an incredible artist. If you guys haven't seen her, her work, check out her work. Her name is Amal Matar on Instagram. And she's perfect. I really want, it was important for me to connect with her because she basically embodies the child, uh, the profile of the person that I'm, that I'm building this program for. Uh, she grew up in Gaza. She she was born in Gaza and she witnessed the four wars and she understands the power of art as a form of therapy. Um, art has helped her navigate through a lot of the trauma, obviously, and the heavy emotions that she witnessed throughout her life and upbringing. Um, and she gave me a very clear description of the mental state of these kids. And it was horrific to hear, to be honest. she It's very bleak. It's, uh, it's you know we always look like we're um, strong and we're resilient. And and that's kind of the, like we, we want, that's what we want to show the world. And that's what we want to portray to, for just to kind of keep our spirits up. But she was giving me kind of a very real picture of the situation. And and from what I understood is that they're, they just, it's the, the kids are living in the worst conditions and they're like in constant fear. So something like this is in desperate need to be put out and implemented. My foundation is desperately needed there. Um, So she was very resourceful too. She told me about this, uh, the one store, she told me it's in the Medina in the city. Um, She said that I can connect with this one store and they are an arts and crafts store. they sometimes are discontinued. They don't have canvases because the shipments were stuck or they don't get access to them. But she said that they have most of the art materials that kids would need in a workshop like this. And she was telling me that I, that I would need to connect with the, with the owner of the store and figure out a way to buy in bulk and find out how to, how to put together these kits. Um, and, I'm all, and I'm currently speaking with a couple of art therapists, one based in the Middle East and one is in Canada. From the art therapy institute and we're trying to put together uh the curriculum for that is specifically made for war children of war and uh that's kind of where we're at right now on the progress of uh this is where i'm at and building the program um the other thing is uh is just it's COVID. it's uh so I'm, I'm kind of that's another concern like how do we go about putting together this program in the most safe, um, the, in safest ways and, you know, following all the safety protocols. And I, I'm, it's a bit blurry for me right now what the situation is down there, but from what I have heard, it's not, it's the, the the health, uh, the, the, epidemic, the epidemic is not managed very well down there. And so that's another challenge. But I mean, if, it's, if this is going to take me one year, two years, I will do whatever it takes for this to, to be established. So right now we're trying to perfect the pilot program. And inshallah, once that's perfected, we will roll it out on a bigger scale.
0: It's in, you're an inspiration, Dahlia. Uh, once again, ladies and gentlemen, this has been Dahlia Sharvini from a Palestinian-Canadian artist from Canada. Make sure you check out her website, dahliaart.com. The link will be in the podcast. Dahlia, we've got about a minute or so to go. Leave us with something uplifting.
1: I want to encourage every palestinian in the world whatever it is whatever your tool is even if you anything anything you do anything that you feel that god have gifted you to share your gift with the world for the purpose of bringing awareness to our narrative our true narrative or just simply share the beauty of our culture or help the children of our our land because again like i said they are our future yeah make that your your life mission that's living in diaspora that's the least we could do
0: you're a superstar dahlia make sure you visit her website you can see just how exquisite her art is aside from prints you've also got postcards and little stamp things i got my stamps when i got my um, really really so very cool congratulations dahlia we're we're so proud of you and keep up the good work
1: thank you thank you so much Nasser. it's been an absolute pleasure thanks for listening today don't forget there's never been a better time for a free palestine